Amen. 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 Well, yeah, thanks for being here again. This, uh, we've, we only have two more weeks left after this. So uh, you guys who are in here right now, you're the faithful. So uh, way to go. I'm just joking in case anybody's listening to this. That's where I'm recording it from. Uh, we still want you back. Um, but no, we, we're excited. And obviously we've been going through uh, the Beatitudes together. And tonight we are going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. So go ahead and turn there if you're not there already. But let's go ahead and read through the whole thing. And then we can go back to our specific verse for this week. So Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read verse 2 through 12. It says, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. So let's just go over a, a really quick review, a really fast review. I mean, really broad review of, uh, of what has got us to today, okay? Um, first, we talked about the poor in spirit, right? People that recognize their spiritual state, and that is one in desperate need of Christ, okay? Uh, we talked about those who mourn, those who look at their sin and spiritual state, and in response to that, they mourn over it. In, in, in their response to realizing they can do nothing to save themselves, they mourn over that. We talked about the meek uh, and those who, as a result of the Spirit regenerating them, conduct themselves in a biblical way for the glory of God. We talked about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who seek God's righteousness rather than attempt to establish their own version of righteousness like the Pharisees did, right? And, and the result of that is they will be satisfied. We talked about blessed are the merciful, those who are tender-hearted, I believe is how Anders worded that, towards others and help. And, and this is an act of mercy. And in return, we see that mercy bestowed on them through the Father's mercy in the person of Jesus Christ. And then we land on today's beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, I will be honest, um, out of all the Beatitudes going through them, I think this is the one that I thought was the most challenging for me personally, just as I'm looking through uh, what it is to be pure in heart and really breaking down what it means to see God. And so we're going to go through this. I tried to make this as simple as possible, but by all means, come up and ask me questions at the end if you have any questions. But uh, when we look at this, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The first obvious thing that we see in this Beatitude is that it's focused on the heart. Okay, Jesus is specifically looking at the heart. And the reality is, is we see this all throughout Scripture. Okay, the, the heart's condition is extremely important, and that's why Jesus is addressing it, right? He is saying it's not enough to clean up our act on the outside. All right, if, if we remember in Matthew 23, you can write down some of these. We're going to be going in and out of them very fast, but uh, if you want to write them down to look at later, you can. Matthew 23, verses 25 and uh, 26, when he's addressing the scribes and the Pharisees, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup 
and of the plate, but inside they are full of extortion and rapacity. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the plate, that the outside also may be clean. All right. So we addressed this a little bit when we talked on meekness, right? We, we talked that uh, Jesus is, is, is not trying to just change our manners or, uh, or the manners of society, right? But change the hearts of sinners like you and me. And so what do I mean by this? Here's a great example. Jesus would not be satisfied with a world in which there were no acts of adultery. So let's break that down. Let's say in our world, there were no acts of adultery. What do I mean by that? Well, later on in this chapter, Jesus said, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what are we seeing? It's not just this physical act of adultery that Jesus is talking about. It goes way past that. It goes into the mind and the heart of what's going on there. Jesus, uh, you know, illuminated uh, their minds with the word, uh, what the word was actually saying, right? It, it isn't just physical acts of sin that he's concerned about, but the thought life of the believer. The believer's heart is the issue, okay? And so uh, look at it this way. We all have times when we're alone and nobody else is around, okay? And we have thoughts and we have feelings. And in this secrecy, this is who you truly are. If we think about it this way, because we see Jesus address this when he's talking about praying, right? And he's saying, don't pray in the streets as the hypocrites do. Uh, Go into your room by yourself and pray. And when you do this, right, the Father's then looking at the heart of it. You're not praying in public to try to get attention. You're not trying to seem like you're coming across like a super godly person. But the person who actually goes and seeks God on his own by himself is someone who is truly seeking after God. Right. And so um, what we are when we alone, when we're alone matters to God as, as much as what we could try to come across like when we're around other people. And so, uh, you know, we, we know that first uh, Samuel, it says man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Right. So the heart is a really big deal because we we see in Scripture, the heart has a lot of issues. All right. Uh, just going through some, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a man. That's Matthew 15, 18, and 19. Uh, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Matthew 20, or 12, 33, and 34, right? So we're starting to see that the heart is a big, Jesus thinks this is a big deal. Uh, and, and in fact, like I was saying, who we are in our private lives, that's, that's what Jesus cares about. That's what Jesus is getting at, okay? Uh, Jesus did not come into the world simply because we have some bad habits that need to be broken, okay? He came into the world because we have such dirty hearts that need to be purified. And the only way to do so was through his perfect sacrifice, Okay, so uh, only Christ can fix the true problem with us. Let me say that again. Only Christ can fix the true problem with us. Let me give another example. Think about your kids. If you have kids, you can parent well. You can discipline your kids. You can be in the word with your kids. But every parent in here knows that heart change can only be a work of the Lord. 
I don't think any parent who is saved doesn't desire for their kids to be saved, to come to a saving knowledge of who Christ is. But we realize that this is only a work that can be done by God. Think about it in society, okay? I don't want to get too political here, but there are many problems in our government that our government tries to fix. Okay, for example, uh, let's talk about abortion for a second. Okay, I, I have a feeling most of us, if not all of us in this room, would disagree with abortion. Okay, uh, it's a big topic, especially every time an election comes up. And if you think about it, how helpless the local, state, and federal government is to solve problems in our society. Okay, uh, here's this, this statistic. Uh, 86% of all women who have abortions are unmarried mothers. So when we think about that, 86%, right, we're talking about fornication here. We're talking about having sex outside of marriage, all right? And, and, and for the kids that are born, one in four in America grow up without a dad in the home. So when you think about that, the long-term effect of that tragedy, I mean, we can't measure. We can't measure that. And, and what can the government do? Right? They, they can try to uh, find ways to soften the financial burden on these kids and their mothers. But the real issue is what Jesus is getting at. It's a heart issue, right? What did Jesus say? He said, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, and fornication. Right? And so certainly I know there, there are extenuating circumstances and everything, but all, uh, a lot of these moms, uh, the statistics I was looking up from the government was saying that a lot of these moms feel that they're not ready to have a baby and they don't feel like they have a man in their life to help them with that. And so they choose abortion. So fornication and murder happen through this. And we know, again, this is a heart issue. This is a heart issue that we see, Right? I believe if Jesus was here today, right, he would say this is a massive problem in our society with the heart. Uh, I love John Piper. He said it like this. If people, white, black, red, yellow, were pure in heart, they would be blessed. Their society would be blessed. And the impotence of the state to deal with the inner collapse of our culture would be replaced by the power of purity. Okay, so what we're getting at here is we're getting at the heart, right? Uh, Jesus teaching this beatitude is not about social relevance. So don't take that out of what I'm saying today. All right. It's not blessed are the pure in heart. So the government can save tons of money on welfare, or, you know, whatever. It's not what's being said. It's, it's being said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Okay. And the reason that I, I bring up social cult, the social cult, culture side of things is because I think most of us can admit uh, that we can be socially sensitive, but recognizing that in ourselves, we can begin to see how central God is, how much we need God in our world, okay? See, the problem in, in American society and culture is that we attempt to solve human problems while neglecting the importance of God in the life and soul. And we've all been guilty of that, right? When, when we're so bombarded with human tragedies and poverty and crime and abuse and neglect and war, um, we're tempted to forget what's important. We're tempted to forget what's true. Uh, Nate, Pastor Nate says this all the time on Sunday mornings that uh, we come together on Sunday mornings, we read scripture together, and we hear a lot of the same themes that we talk about over and over again because we suffer from truth amnesia, right? We forget 
truth. It happens all the time. And so this is true uh, with what we're talking about tonight. Uh, yeah, the greatest of all tragedies that, uh, is that in, in seeking to relieve the temporary miseries we go through, we set aside God. We cannot be people that are like that. But, but Jesus comes and said, blessed are the pure in heart, not first because they change society, but first because they will see God. All right. Seeing God is the great reward of being pure. So three questions that we're going to answer tonight. Okay. What is it to see God? What is it to be pure in heart? And how are these two things held together? Okay. Let me say those one more time in case you're writing them down. What is it to see God? Two, what is it to be pure in heart? And three, how are these two things held together? Okay, so we're going to start with what is it to see God? And with this, I'd mention three things, okay? First, to see God means to be admitted into his presence, Okay, so if we take a look in the Bible, after the plague of darkness on Egypt, Pharaoh exploded to Moses with these words, right? He says, get away from me, take heed to yourself, never see my face again, for in the day that you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. That's Exodus 10, uh, verses 28 and 29. So look at it this way. When, when a king says, you will never see my face again, he means... I will never grant you admission into my presence again, okay? So if, if I relate this to myself, uh, my doctor's name, uh, my family physician, his name's Dr. Gondo, okay? If I call the doctor and I say, can I see Dr. Gondo today? And I don't mean, can I see him from a distance or can I see a picture of him, okay? I mean, can I have an appointment to be with him, Okay? That's what I'm saying. And so the first thing is seeing God means is being admitted to his presence. Okay, seeing God means being admitted to his presence. So if we use the same analogy, the doctor is only going to see one of his patients. The doctor has patients and he sees those patients. So only one of God's children is, are going to be in the presence of God, both now in a spiritual sense and in eternity in a physical sense. Does that make sense? So when we become regenerated and when the Spirit does that work in us, obviously we have the Holy Spirit that resides in us. But obviously none of us are seeing God face to face in a physical sense, right? But we also know that that is what's promised to us as believers. That when we reach our glorification, that we will be with God in his entirety for eternity. Okay? Second, seeing God means being awestruck by his glory, right? By a direct experience of his holiness, okay? After God confronted Job, if we remember the story of Job, after God confronted Job in the whirlwind, Job said, and these are powerful words, I had heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees thee. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Right? All of our spiritual sight in this life is granted to us through the word of God and through the work of God in providence, right? So we, we, we see images and reflections of God's glory. We hear echoes and reverberations of his voice, but there will come a day when God himself will dwell among us, 
right? His glory will no longer be, you know, lightning and mountains and roaring seas and constellation of stars. Instead, our experience of him will be direct, right? His glory will be the very light in which we move. That's what it says in Revelation 21, 23. So seeing God not only means being admitted to his presence, but also being awestruck by a direct experience of his glory. And finally, seeing God means being comforted by his grace. Think about that as the believer. Many of us in this room have come to a saving knowledge of who who God is. God has, has taken our heart of flesh or a heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh. What comfort do we find then in knowing God and the grace that God has bestowed upon us? Uh, there, one, of, one of my friends who goes to the church here, he's on the worship team. His name's John. Uh, his, his mother just got diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And so uh, he's been going out to Idaho a bunch and he's one of the drummers in the band. Many of you have probably seen him. Uh, and he came back to our community group last week and he kind of surprised us by showing up because he wasn't supposed to be back yet. And we were watching the, the film American <laughs> Gospel as a, as a group. And he came in and we were talking to him and we were asking him, how are you doing? How, how are you doing right now? I mean, you obviously, you know, the doctor has given your mom, you know, two years to live is what they're saying. Uh, if she does chemo and has surgery and everything like that. And, and what's your, where are you at right now with that? How can we help? And it was amazing to see somebody who had such faith in Christ and his response was, you know, it's, it's not the ideal situation. It's not that anybody wants to hear that their mom is going to pass away. And he said, maybe I'm still in shock, but there's a big side of me who's just comforted by God, knowing that God is sovereign, knowing that God is in charge, knowing that God is good, knowing that he works things all, all out for his glory. And he said, I'm just resting in that right now. I just, I don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. I don't know how long my mom's going to live. I don't know how long I'm going to live. The Bible says we're not promised tomorrow, but I'm living in that comfort. That is not something that our world has. People that don't know Christ don't know that comfort. They don't rest in that. They can't rest in that. They haven't experienced that. So for us to be able to be comforted, not that it makes life easy, Not that we don't go through trials and tribulations, but seeing God means being comforted by his grace. And we see this in the Psalms all the time. Uh, In Psalm 27, verses 7 through 9, David says, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit here. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. Hide not thy face from me. Right? Hide not thy face from me is the same thing as saying, be gracious to me. This means that seeing the face of God is considered to be a sweet and comforting experience. Right? If God shows his face, we are helped. If God turns his face away, we are dismayed. So when Jesus promises the reward of seeing God, there are at least three things implied. We will be admitted to his presence, not just kept in the waiting room. We will be awestruck with the direct experience of his glory, and we will be helped and comforted by his grace. And this we will have in part now 
and fully in the age to come. That's what we have to understand about what we're talking about now in what it means to see God. And we're going to touch on this a little bit at the end. But some of these things we're experiencing now as we're going through our process of sanctification from when we were regenerated. But then obviously some of this is talking about when we're in heaven and we reach full glorification, right? And we are with God. And this comes down to those who are pure in heart. Again, we talked at the beginning of this that these beatitudes are talking about people that have been regenerated. We're talking about the believer here. Okay, so then two, we have to answer the question, if that's what it is to see God, then we have to answer the question, what is it to be pure in heart? Okay, and uh, I'm going to go to Psalm 24, verses uh, three and four, and we're going to break this down a little bit. It says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Okay. So what can we see, uh, what we can see what David means by a pure heart is the phrases that follow, right? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, uh, a pure heart is a heart that has nothing to do with falsehood. Has nothing to do with falsehood. It seeks after truth. It loves truth. It is truthful and free from deceitfulness, right? Deceit is what happens If we think about deceit, deceit is what happens when you serve two things, okay? Um, You you will to do one thing, and you will that people think you are doing another thing, okay? You you will to feel one thing, and you will that people think you are feeling another, right? And that's impurity of the heart. Purity of the heart is to will one thing, and that is to seek the face of the Lord. You can see this idea of purity in in James 4.8. Uh, this, this was a verse that me and Ellie, I think from the moment we met, we had used this in the college group, uh, except now I have such a better understanding of it. Uh, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Right. And I, I, for so long looked at this as we're the initiators of our faith, right? We're the initiators of, right. But let's read this whole thing. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners and purify your hearts. You men of double mind. So who's he talking to here, right? Uh, and, and notice the difference or the uh, similarities between the Psalm 24 we just read and this James, right? Both have a reference to cleaning your hands and a pure heart as preparation for drawing near to God. Now, we understand we cannot cleanse our hands and purify our heart without the work of the Holy Spirit. That is not something we can initiate ourselves. That is a work that God does inside of us in order for us to draw near to God. And then uh, notice how the men that he's talking to are described that need to purify their hearts are men of double mind. Okay, think about that. Uh, We just talked about that. That means that they will two things, not just one thing. Right? The the, the impurity of double-mindedness is explained if you go to James 4.4. Unfaithful creatures, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world and makes, uh, the, therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Right. So the the double minded man in verse eight has a heart divided between the world and God. Now let's think about those in our personal lives. All right. Ellie would not be satisfied with me if I had my wife and a girlfriend. 
That's not going to fly. She wants full devotion to her. Uh, Similar to you, uh, I would not be satisfied if Ellie had me and a boyfriend. That is double-mindedness. God is looking for the exact same thing. He is not looking for people that are in love with the things of the world and then trying to balance God as well. God wants single-minded people that are specifically focused on him. All right? Purity of the heart is to will one thing. Okay? And that is full and total allegiance to God. Okay? Full and total allegiance to God. So if we ask, where in the Gospels did Jesus explain purity of the heart in this way? The answer would be Matthew 22, verse 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Okay, he's not saying part of your heart, not with a double or divided heart. That would be impurity. Purity of the heart is no deception, no double-mindedness, no divided allegiance. Okay, purity of the heart is to will one thing, right? God's truth and God's value in everything that we do. The aim of the pure heart is to align itself with the truth of God and magnify the worth of God. So if you want to be pure in heart, pursue God with single-mindedness. Now that's a lot easier said than done. That's why I brought up Uh, how this works out in society and how this works out in our personal lives is because so much of the time we have to be reminded of the single-mindedness because it's so easy for us to fall back on ourselves or to fall back on this person or to fall back on how we used to be. But that's not what God's calling the pure in heart to do. Purity of the heart is to will one thing. So that leaves one last question. How are the two bound together? How are they held together? All right, and Jesus gives us part of the answer here. It's a, it's a true part, but only part. He says that the pure will see God, okay? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That is, purity is a prerequisite for seeing God. The impure are neither granted admittance to his presence, nor are awed by the glory of his holiness, nor are they comforted by his grace. Now, if we just think about those three things right there, Where would we be if we did not have those? Admittance into his presence, awed by his glory of his holiness, comforted by his grace, right? Jesus' point is the same as Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for, and he goes on to say, the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So in other words, blessed are the holy, for they shall see God. Right? There's a real purity and a real holiness which fits us to see the king of glory. And of course, that should lead us who are saved to cry out the same words of Proverbs 20, verse 9, where it says, Who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure. Uh, I am pure from my sin. And then with the disciples when he said, who then can be saved, right? Jesus' answer comes back just like it did to the disciples in Matthew 19, 26. Uh, And this is the rest of the answer. With men, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible, right? So in other words, and this this is the important part of what we're talking about tonight. God creates a purity for us and in us so that we can pursue purity. 
the purity in us is created by God. Okay, it's nothing that we can do. We've talked about this a lot in our church recently, especially when we went through Romans. That we cannot, dead people cannot save themselves. People that are dead in sin cannot save themselves. The work of the heart has to be done by the Lord. And by his grace, we must seek a gift by praying with David. He, he says in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And we must look to Christ who gave himself up for us to purify for himself a people. That's Titus 2.14. And the response of our hearts to God's act of creation and Christ's act of sacrifice is single-minded faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. As the scripture says in Acts 15.9, God made no distinction between us and them, but purified their hearts by faith. Okay, God is the one who purifies the heart. And the instrument with which he uses to clean it is faith. Therefore, trust in the Lord with all your heart. We've all heard that proverb. Will this one thing and you will see God. Okay, so I want to do a quick uh, recap of all this before we end for tonight, okay? Purity, purity of the heart are these three things. Purity of the heart is free from falsehood and deceitfulness, okay? Seeks truth, loves truth. Two, not double-minded, but only serves one master, and that master is Jesus. And three, places high value and worth on God, and then it goes on to say, those who are pure in heart will see God. And we've got three points for that. Seeing God is being admitted to his presence. Okay, both now in a spiritual sense and in eternity in a physical sense. Uh, me and Anders were talking about this today, and we, we could have a lot longer talk on just that right there. Um, but number two, seeing God is being awestruck by his holiness and glory. Both now and in eternity. Notice that all of these seeing God are, are something that happens both now and in eternity. And number three, seeing God is being comforted by his grace. Again, both at the moment that we were regenerated and in eternity. Think about the comfort you will receive not going to hell, but living in eternity with Christ. Priceless. We can't put a price on that. So what I want us to do tonight, obviously we have uh, about 10 minutes left as we have an opportunity to uh, talk with one another. Obviously, purity of the heart, one of the things that I didn't necessarily touch on tonight, but I think when we say purity a lot, I think a lot of times we think of sexual purity, right? We think of being sexually pure, and, and certainly the Bible talks about sexual immorality, immorality a lot and being sexually pure. Uh, but the purpose of that is... Um, being pure in heart is not just on the sexual side of things. What Jesus is talking here, being pure in heart, is not just on that. So uh, the reason I say that is because I had someone else talking to me about that and said, oh, well, well, purity of the heart is being sexually pure. And I was like, eh, no, not, not entirely. Yes, God wants us to be sexually pure, but pure in heart is all these things we talked about. It, it is easy for anything uh, to be an idol in our lives. And so one of the things that I want to talk about tonight in our groups as we as we you know, flesh this out a little bit is what are those things in your life? What are the idols in your life? Um, now I know this can get, you can go as 
deep or as surface level as you want. I know we all don't know each other uh, at every table really well, but what are the idols in your life? What are the things that are keeping you from uh, being pure? What are, the, what are the snags that happen in your life that, that you have to battle against? Um, these are important things for us to be able to point out in our lives because, again, that draws us into being double-minded people, right? That, that draws us into serving sin and trying to serve God at the same time when really we should be killing sin and serving God. So basically what I'm asking tonight is what is the sin that we need to be killing in our lives right now? I know that takes uh, being vulnerable in your groups a little bit, but I think it's an important thing that we speak out against and uh, we claim the truth of Scripture, we remember what scripture says, that uh, he has overcome the grave, he has overcome sin and death, and that we, as we are going through the sanctification process, should be continually killing sin. Amen? Mm-hmm. So let's spend 10 minutes doing that, and then I will pray and we'll be dismissed.